Brian has talked a lot about tonight about the systemic issues in our justice system and how they disproportionately affect black and brown people. Yes. Now, I'm, I'm going to keep pausing here. Um, it is certainly true that there, there, are, there are disparities between uh, white Americans and black Americans in the prison system. And this is no easy thing to untangle and to understand. It's very complex. But here's the assumption that we gotta, we've got to resist. Disparity does not automatically equal discrimination. It may. It, something may be due to discrimination. But the question is, does, does a disparity automatically equal racism or discrimination? Because if it does, then let's just talk about, I mean, just a quick word about, you can look up the stats in prison. Asian Americans are in prison far less than white Americans. So if we're simply doing different proportions, then that must mean there's some sort of, sort of Asian supremacy in our culture that's keeping white people down and that's leading to a disproportionate number of white people in prison versus Asian Americans. Well, we all know intuitively that can't be the answer, right? Like that's, there's no way that's the real answer. So let's be aware of oversimple reasons for disparities. There are very complex reasons for disparities, and we've talked over the last few weeks why there are disparities in both income and other things, and it's much more complicated than a one-size-fits-all right. racism or white supremacy answer. So we could say a lot more about that. Let's just keep going for the sake of time. So she's asking about the disparity in the prison system. Yeah, um, if we think about the makeup of Redeemer, it's largely a church of white and Asian people. So just wondering, um, for folks who, who might be in the audience thinking and asking, why should I care about these particular issues around justice? What would you say to them? Well, there, the, the Bible, I, uh, I didn't get there tonight because there was uh, there's too much to say. The Bible believes in corporate sin, corporate responsibility. Uh, in Daniel chapter 9, uh, let me talk about white people for a minute. I'll leave, I'll, leave, I'll leave the Asians aside for a second here. But no, don't, don't get your hopes up. Um, the, uh, uh, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is confessing the sins of his forefathers, repenting for them. Um, he... Um, he doesn't, uh, and you know, the average American says, that's crazy, he, he, he didn't do those things. Uh, he I evidently was maybe born and raised in exile, and he wasn't part of the generation of people who sinned against God and, and led to the exile. He, he confesses the sin. Uh, there are other places in the Bible where uh, a, a family or a tribe is punished for one person's sin, like in Joshua chapter 7. And it's because, actually, I think... Now, let, me, let me stop there before we go any further. Uh, Greg, a word about Daniel 9. We, we went through Daniel 9 a few months ago, but it, it, as we get, Daniel 9 is a chapter where Daniel is repenting, and he's repenting for, he talks about both his own sins, my sins and my people's sins, and he's repenting before God, and it's a wonderful prayer. It's, it's also similar to a prayer in, I think it's in Nehemiah 9. Mm -hmm. Some opening words about what may be uh, going on with Daniel 9 and examples like that. Yeah, well, I also want to say something based on what, what he said. There's an assumption that he made in being general about the book of Daniel. And it's not wrong to make general statements if they're rooted in truth. But we have to be careful sometimes for rhetorical effect. We can actually go beyond the truth. And that's what he just did. I had not caught that before until just now. Mm. Daniel, he said, might have been born in exile. That's Daniel was already a young man in Israel when Israel was taken captive to Babylon. And that might seem like a nitpicky point, but it's actually not because that affects how you interpret Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. If Daniel was completely removed from their sin, then there'd be more merit to what he's saying. But Daniel was born in and raised at least 
to what, 13, 14 years maybe, um, as a teenager in Israel. That changes the whole nature of this discussion so that when Daniel um, is confessing uh, the sin of, of his people, this is Daniel 9, chapter four, uh, verse 4. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And so, yes, he is rooting this in the, the ongoing sin pattern of God's people, but his generation is included in that because he was part of the people who were exiled. Now, that's not saying Daniel was engaging in the flagrant sin that a lot of others were. I mean, I don't think he was, like, based on what we know of him. He, him and uh, his three friends, they were probably uh, going against the grain with that, but they were still a part of the generation that was sent into exile. And so they, they went to Babylon with other Israelites who were in sin for their, their rebellion and idolatry. And so, he, yes, he's acknowledging the sin of the past, but he's also acknowledging the sin of the present. He's also acknowledging that, and that has the matter uh, in some way. Yeah, and let me just pull up here. Uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote about this very thing, and if you can read this part here, it's, he's mentioning, you can see Daniel 9 right here at the top of the, of the screen, and Nehemiah and Ezra, they all have similar prayers. The blue part, the Jews were not lumped together because of race, ethnicity, geography, education level, or socioeconomic status. The Israelites had freely entered into a covenant relationship with each other and with their God. This is what makes... America is not Israel, okay? This is a big problem here with the thinking. America is not the new Israel. America is not in a covenant relationship with God as a nation. Israel was, as a nation, in a covenant relationship with God. And when the majority of Israel sinned, the, 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 the nation as a whole bore the consequences. And so there, there's a sense in which they were, in a, they were, not in a sense, they were in a covenant relationship with God and each other. Middle of the paragraph. In all three examples above, the leader, in this case Daniel, entered into corporate confession because one, he was praying for the covenant people as a whole. Number two, the people were as a whole marked by unfaithfulness. The vast majority of Israel were unfaithful. There was a tiny remnant like Daniel and his friends, but the majority were unfaithful. And number three, the leader himself bore some responsibility for the actions of the people, either by having been blind to sin, and Ezra says something along those lines in Ezra 9.3, or by participating directly in sin. And if you look at Daniel 9.20 right here on the screen, Daniel actually says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, uh, the Lord sent the angel. So Daniel is not saying he himself was completely guiltless. He includes his own personal guilt in the sin of the people. So taking this structure and just applying it to American history is faulty hermeneutics. It, it doesn't work that way. That's not the way this is supposed to, to work. But let's continue because I think more important things are going to be said here in just a moment. God knows, and actually most of the rest of the world knows what Americans don't, and that is what you are, for good and ill, to a great degree, uh, is the product of your community. So, for example, if you are bad, uh, your community does bear some responsibility for that because the community was the kind of place where you could become that. So we need to be careful here painting with such a broad brush to say the society in general produced this, therefore everyone in this group owes this to someone else. The community was the kind of place where you could become that. 
And, of course, now that, and I think I shared this with Brian in the back, uh, back a, a friend of mine recently was, uh, who's a pastor was talking to a Norwegian uh, man who had just moved into his, to his community and went to his church. And at one point he heard uh, the pastor talking about the fact that uh, uh, we, were, we were all complicit in creating this narrative that uh, uh, black people are dangerous, etc. And so we're complicit in this. Afterwards, the, white, the, the, the Norwegian came up and said, no, 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 that's, I'm Norwegian. <laughs> no, had nothing to do with it. And, and, <laughs> my, uh, and my pastor friend said, uh, studies have shown, have pretty much proven, that if you have white skin, it's worth a million dollars over a lifetime. Okay, now th- this is where, again, we're getting into this idea. This is basically white privilege is what he's mm-hmm. describing here. If you have white skin, it's worth a million dollars over a lifetime. Now, let me, let me just show you a, a chart here, because I think this chart, you, you need to see stuff like this because you're not going to hear it very often these days. Th- this, comes from, uh, this comes from the U.S. Census Bureau, and let me, let me get it on the screen big enough to where you can see it. Usually today, this is, this is a median household income in the U.S. by ethnic group, and I want you to see here. Normally, the only two stats that are ever mentioned in a news program is is that African-Americans here at $35,000 for average median income, and the only other stat that's usually mentioned is going to be white Americans close to $60,000 per median income. Those are the only two that are mentioned. And then our assumptions drawn from that. Yes, like white supremacy and white privilege, but what about so-called, I mean, if we're going to use privilege language, what about all the nations above white Americans? Pakistani Americans, Chinese Americans, Malaysian Americans, Japanese Americans, Sri Lankan Americans, Taiwanese, Filipino, and Indian Americans all make more uh, per average median income per year in America than white Americans. In fact, all the nations above white Americans are Asian nations. All of them are. Now, are we, if we're going to apply the rules like we're applying, white skin is worth a million dollars, well then what is Indian American skin worth? It's worth $40,000 more per year. And are you telling me that that's Asian privilege? Is this sort of Asian supremacy? Is that the reason why there's, dispar- there's disparate numbers between white Americans and Asian Americans? Well, listen, uh, no, and, and I don't say this following thing to make anyone uncomfortable. This is simply true, okay? I've, I've looked into this information, and you probably know this intuitively. I'm speaking now, not of every individual. We're speaking of averages. This is very important, averages. When you look at averages, this is absolutely true. White American homes are, uh, there, there are more single parents in white American homes and black American homes than in Asian American homes. There are far more intact families amongst Asian Americans than other ethnic groups. Do you think that contributes nothing to these numbers? If you keep going, uh, a friend of mine who works with my brother, who's from China, he grew up in China, he's told his testimony. He talks about the academic standards and the pressure in China to perform at a, at a high academic level and I, I almost couldn't believe his childhood. He said they were at school almost 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, we're talking grade school. He said the school starts early in the morning. It doesn't end till 9 p.m. A lot of times it was six days a week. You barely get time off. And if you don't, get, if you don't come out with top scores and get a high-paying job, there's, there's major shame, he said, in that society. Now, you could argue that that's idolizing uh, education. or there's, there, there, Every culture has its issues. I, I understand that. But is that going to produce, if you have more intact families higher educational standards, is that going to tend to produce lower crime, lower incarceration rates, higher income over time? Yes, that does not have anything to do with skin color. You know what it has to do with? A cultural difference. It is cultural differences that that are a primary explanation of the numbers on the screen. So to simply say that white skin gives you X amount of money is, again, he's not trying to do this, but that is a social Marxist category, and it's not actually being true, I think, to to the facts on the table. Some more troubling things are said here. 
have pretty much proven that if you have white skin, it's worth a million dollars over a lifetime over somebody who doesn't have white skin. And that's because of historical forces that uh, have come about. And at this point, you know, you, you could go at it several ways. One, as I mentioned, if you have that asset of white skin right now, historical asset, then you actually have to say, I, I didn't deserve this. And also, I'm, to some degree, I'm the product of, uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of other people who got that through injustice. Are you hearing this? So if you have white skin, you make this much more money because of your white skin, and therefore that's due to historical forces that are connected to injustice. Therefore, you are, what's the implication? Listen, this is really amazing. Product of, uh, I'm standing on the shoulders of other people who got that through injustice. So uh, the Bible actually says, yes, you do, you do, you are um, involved in injustice. And even if you didn't actually do it, therefore... Whoa, this is majorly incorrect. Listen to this again. This is um, an amazingly wrong thing to say. So uh, the Bible actually says, yes, you do, you do, you are um, involved in injustice. And even if you didn't actually do it, therefore you have a responsibility, not just to say, well, you know, maybe if I get around to it, maybe we could do something about the poor people out there. No, you're, you're part of the problem. I don't want to leave this point. For Keller to say, if you have white skin, he says you're part of the problem and you're part of injustice even if you didn't do anything personally wrong. That is more than a little troubling. That is not the way we are supposed to talk, to say here's your skin color and I'm going to impute guilt to you because of the color of your skin, even if you're not personally responsible. 